You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and you can hear there's a tremble in my voice because something is wrong here. Uh, something has <laughs> snuck, it, snuck in onto the podcast. Ah, uh, something wicked this way comes. I'm hiding my literally. jewels and my silver. <laughs> yeah. No, we are. I'm, I'm excited to have um, John Favreau on Keep It today. First time ever. I want everyone to know that when I was offered an invitation to be on the show today, I was convinced for a while that it was an April Fool's joke and that you guys were going to have <laughs> me on. And first of all, I thought you guys were going to have me on and no one was going to like let me into the into the actual room. And I did I did like wait here for 10 minutes and I thought, oh, wow, this is actually happening. They're not going to let me in. This was just a joke. And then I thought maybe you would pretend to record it and then not release it. So I, I don't know how I got here, but I, I feel grateful. I like how there are several versions of cruelty in there that you think we are capable of, which is thrilling. <laughs> I mean, I sort of like having that power. Mainly Ira. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but it, it it was suspiciously around April 1st. So I do sort of feel bad that we put you through that. But. Yeah, yeah. But I'm happy to be here. You mostly scammed your way in because you have a new podcast called Offline, um, which I feel like is sort of a misnomer because it, you are online more than ever. I'm trying, though. I'm trying to do less. I'm, you know, like, I felt like the internet was breaking my brain like it is to everyone else. And so I thought I would do an interview show about it. And I've talked to some really cool people like Monica Lewinsky, Colbert, Gia Tolentino, Roxanne Gay. Uh, I had Sam B last week. I have Ev Williams this week, who's a former founder of Twitter. So we're going to talk all about Twitter. And um, so that's, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like you're going to have Elon on. I'm going to have Elon on. I want to have you on to talk about uh, being banned from Twitter and what that's been like in your life. It has been beautiful. <laughs> you seem like a happy oh, yeah. person. Oh, yeah. He does, oh, yeah. He doesn't miss Twitter at all, I'm sure. <laughs> this is the, den the denial on him. You don't give yeah. off those vibes, so that's good. Uh, I just want to say that la uh, last August, I was in Chicago for market days, and I was in... Uh, a club called Hydrate, which is a very traditional just gay club, the lights, the music, et cetera. And somebody is looking at me sideways in a way that I would almost call flirtatious, but I couldn't solve it. Clearly inebriated. The person comes up to me and, and sort of leans in with a, with a snake-like movement of his neck and says, I know who you are, John Favreau. <laughs> And I want you to know the mixture of emotions that went through me. I was like, that's very flattering. And also, you're on the right track. And But instead, I said, thank you so much. Tell me what you love about the podcast. And I pretended to be John Favreau for a few minutes. So it was actually, it was like the beginning of a desperately seeking well? Susan-like switch. I, I was taking over. Uh, 
uh, yes, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, uh, I, I have, very flat. I have been to hydrate quite a few times, so that's uh, so I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking. Imagine if John Favreau was standing around at hydrate. That'd be so amazing. I but. would I would buy you being at hydrate before I'd ever think to see John Lovett there. Yeah, true. Me, right. me, so. and Love It would be the last one at Hydrate of all three of us. <laughs> uh, I also do want to say that it it is nice to have you here, um, because truly the question I'm plagued with often is, um, Ira, if you hate John Favreau, why was he at your housewarming? Why were you at his 40th birthday party? And then I'm always like, why do you know so much about my life? Ira, I can't remember like how our beef actually started because it's fake beef, but it's been fake for so long that at some point you start to believe it's... the lie. And I was like, did I almost hit him with my car? <laughs> <laughs> it started in a joke um, in an ad. I tr- I oh, think that's okay. how it started. Um, that's when we um, used to put like random jokes in the ads that would then spill over into the show um Mm -hmm. that's where we first made our joke about um tommy's cakes oh yes that was me yeah Uh, it was lewis which is still alive today you see it on twitter every once in a while sure no i'm i'm up for the mark twain prize this year because of that joke so thank you guys so much uh, but nothing, we've embar- been- nothing embarrasses Tommy more than talking about his cake. So just keep that, keep that going. <laughs> you know, we've kind of been reticent to have you on the show, too, because, you know, you you run Pod Save America, you know, and like, what are we going to talk about with you on Keep It? But it's a, it's weirdly, a good question. The stars have allied <laughs> and we'll, we'll see how you do this week because uh, we're going to talk about the Grammys. Uh, but also the music we're listening to, because who cares about the Grammys and who they decide to give awards to. And our guest this week is the icon, the legend, the diva, Cheryl Lee Ralph, who joins me and Lewis for a conversation about Abbott Elementary, the sitcom that everybody, everybody is talking about right now. And we're also going to revisit the career of Bruce Willis now that he's retiring from acting. So... It's, it's appropriate that you're here because I figure you've seen at least one or two Bruce Willis movies. I have. I have seen a couple of Bruce Willis movies. There's a lot of pop culture things that I would not get from, from this show. But Bruce Willis, I can. I think I can do Bruce Willis. And the Grammys. I can what, are, what are your like areas of, if you had to pick an area of expertise in pop culture and an area you know nothing about, what would those two things be? I am, I'd say I'm probably best at television stuff. Uh, I like television okay. a lot. Movies I'm movies I'm not great at. I feel like there were a lot of movies as a child that I saw like 10 times, which made me miss a whole bunch of other movies that I should have seen. Um, there was there was this moment when I was working in the White House and we were all talking about movies with uh, President Obama because he's like a huge movie buff. And he started right. listing off movies that I hadn't seen. And he was so angry and shocked that I hadn't seen them that he ordered me to go home that weekend and watch all the movies. Uh, like classics like Chinatown I hadn't seen, Casablanca, like all that kind of stuff. And he was like, you cannot come back in Monday until you go home and watch those movies. So that's the kind of person one, I am. One time movies. he released his list of movies he loved for one year, and one movie on it was Diane, which is this uh, independent movie starring Mary Kay Place. And the idea that Barack Obama saw that movie before I did, <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, I, I mean, like, 
I, I, I don't think this has ever been said about Barack Obama before, but what a faggot. I mean, it was just so <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can pass that one along. I will let him know. I will let him know that. I think he will take that as a compliment. Next time, when I see him at Hydrate in Chicago, I'll let him know. Yeah. <laughs> His favorite Chicago haunt. Yeah. 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 Uh, Michelle hosts a night there. He and Michelle met at Sidetrack. People don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We will be right back with more Favreau and more Keep It. In 2022, we need to work harder than ever to inform and mobilize voters to make sure their voices are heard in spite of the efforts of anti-democratic forces across the country. That's why Vote Save America is launching its biggest volunteer effort yet and asking you to be part of your region's midterm madness team, East, South, Midwest, and West. Sign up and learn more at votesaveamerica.com slash midterms to receive actions you can take every week to get involved in the most important elections in 2022. The Grammys were on Sunday, and I don't know. I didn't even watch them. I was at a Charlie XCX concert. Lewis, what happened? Well, I will say this. A lot of people won that I don't think were everybody's first option, but in retrospect, make perfect sense. Like, of these options, like, oh, Bruno Mars and Silk Sonic, of course they won. Of course, John Batiste, who... Uh, had the most nominations, won album of the year. It would have been too soon for someone like Olivia Rodrigo. And that's like not quite the Taylor Swift album we're talking about right now. So I feel like the rollout was similar to the Oscars, actually. Like you could have predicted it, but in this case, we actually didn't. Um, I also have to stick up for John Batiste as a late night band leader since I work in that realm and um, I enjoy my job. So you're a band leader? I know. Isn't that crazy? I wear the jackets just like Michael Jackson. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um, I The John <laughs> Batiste winning album of the year is interesting to me because it's not, you know, a um, it's not an Esperanza Spalding situation or sort of is, you know, it's I feel like people know who John Batiste is. They know his face. But I don't know if they know him by name. I yeah. saw him recently. Um, at a secret Madonna show that I saw in New York, the one where she took to the streets um, singing like a prayer in Harlem, <laughs> um, as Madonna does. Um, right. And he played the piano during her show. So, like, I have video of her writhing on the piano in front of John Batiste, which I feel like should earn anyone an award. Right. A Purple Heart, specifically. Right. Yes. Um, but do you know who John Batiste is? He's fantastic. I... I- Yes, I've loved John Batiste for a long time. Well, I'm like a big piano person. I play piano. And he did like a um, a fresh air a couple years ago where he like sat down and talked about how he composes and like took people through a composition on the piano. Like, I think he's immensely talented. That album is is, is really great. So I, I was surprised that it won, but I was. Now, did you actually watch the Grammys, by the way? I watch I watch most of the Grammys. I watch most of the Grammys. Uh, OK, so, so what yeah, did you I, think of the Grammys? I thought so. I thought the I thought there were some really excellent performances. I thought like it was definitely for a mass audience. That was my sense of, mm-hmm. of the Grammys. Like Trevor Noah. Like I know that they were trying to do sort of like the anti Oscars thing, right? They were going to try to be like the kinder, gentler Oscars. But I kind of thought that like a lot of Trevor Noah's jokes were a little on the cheesy side. Um, and but so I thought the performances were good. But like that's it for the Grammys. It's not like there's anything but 
the performances like the the awards weren't all i mean there was a few surprises here and there and then that was it like i didn't i don't know it got it got sleepy at one point i thought i'll say that was our opinion last year to be honest you know i feel like last year the the pandemic one which trevor hosted too i think we specifically noted on the show that trevor's jokes were very much bad cbs sitcom you know yeah. there's there's no like edge to them at all and it's like they're they're not they're so sort of plain uh when he's hosting something the the jokes are always so plain to the sense where it's it's not offending anyone but then it's also who is it for his jokes on the daily show are always much sharper than what he does Mm -hmm. on these award shows which is weird i think also he has a naturally cynical quality in a lot of his comedy and then when that's not part of what he's doing at the grammys it feels like he's trying on an entirely other persona (laughs) in case in case like stephen colbert needs to step down and somebody needs to step in like he's sort of like by the way i'm here and i can do razzle dazzle nice guy showbiz too yeah uh which is interesting because i've just never viewed trevor noah as that type of comedian and maybe that's a conversation for a different time but you know like trevor noah as a comedian has many facets and then you know he has this book where he talks about you know growing up in apartheid uh in south africa but it's you know it's that i don't see trevor noah as sort of like a um razzle dazzle showman but by the way I i never thought of stephen colbert that way either and look at the space he's occupied for the past five years where it's like the the memory of what he once was, I like I barely have it anymore. I and that was like, you know, the kind of rad Emmy winning version of himself. And now he's I, I can set I can settle in. I can go to sleep to sleep in Colbert now. Whereas before, you know, you were sort of um prodded into uh, a, a, a more cynical kind of awareness about the world at one point. Yeah. Okay, but he's done Sondheim on stage. So you know, okay. if, if, yeah. if, if, if Trevor Noah wants to pull out his dance shoes, you know, and do Assassins <laughs> or Sweeney Todd, <laughs> then we can talk. Yeah, Colbert is a man of many talents. And he's like, he has a lot. He has so much more substance than the character he played for so long. And so mm-hmm. once he took over that show, like, he's brilliant about politics. He's very funny. He's very, like, deep and thoughtful. He's sp- like, Stephen Colbert can do it all. So he's much different. Okay, back to the Grammys. Who was your favorite performance, yeah. John? I thought Billie Eilish's yes. performance was the best. I thought the way I thought she like absolutely killed it. Um, I thought the Taylor Hawkins tribute was nice. She's wearing the t-shirt, just like she she crushed that performance. I also I'm an Olivia Rodrigo fan. I thought I thought she I thought Driver's License was uh, quite a performance too. I, I really like that. What about now, you? Guys? Is that Emily's influence, or Emily, was did she yeah, introduce no, you to Olivia? No, you know whose influence mm. that is is Tommy Vitor. That's his, a sour is his favorite album. <laughs> no, it was. It was. Right. It was an introduction. It, it, it was. It's true. It was an introduction from Emily. But I am a. Uh, yeah, I'm a. I'm a Rodrigo fan. I love Olivia Rodrigo when she sounds like the Veronicas, which are uh, an Australian duo that came out in the 2000s. But there's specifically a song in that album called Brutal that uh, I really enjoy. Oh, Lil Nas X was also amazing. I thought that was a fantastic performance. So I guess he's just a supermodel. He's just like, like little Nas X appears and I'm like, you, you remind me of like every hot person I've ever seen. You're just like, uh, un, like, and you're like a talented person and like an out gay person. Too many, too many quadrants are hit. Yeah. Well, it was the first, like watching that whole performance live. My first question was like, why does he need Jack Harlow on this song? <laughs> I don't even know what he actually added to this though. Um, it was, it was a pretty amazing performance. 
I will say that I am unfortunately, and I've tried. I've tried to fight it. Um, I am full Jack Harlow hive. Oh. There is something about that. There's something about that white boy that I just find. I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to it in the way that, like, I don't know. I guess probably like I remember my sister had like Eminem posters on the wall when she was younger but then she turned out to be a lesbian so um i don't know the correlation <laughs> that's, that's a there but <laughs> but um i don't know i like jack harlow and i like we've talked about before how he you know sort of gave like a different cosign to little nas x initially just because i like having a straight male rapper on a song like that and in a video like that and yeah. performing with him on stage. I love their friendship. And I think it's kind of done wonders for like people being interested in his career where it doesn't feel like it's gay baiting the way that other pop stars have had to do. It just seems like here's my gay best friend and now I'm here. You know, it, it seems I like it. Did you guys did you guys watch that performance? The Lil Nas X one? Oh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, did you? Variety wrote my this is my favorite line about the Grammys on the microphone thing when they did the little microphone swing. Variety wrote uh, they were even engaging in mutual pretend penis play. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> Who, what what pediatrician mutual? wrote this? Yeah. <laughs> Just the word mutual really made that, I thought. Yeah, just mutual pretend penis play. Oh, my God. That is a really mortifying sequence of words. My God. Yeah, Um, that's pretty bad. I I want to uh, shout out Lenny Kravitz performed with her. And there are certain songs where when you hear them now, you've heard them so many times, they simply remind you of being at the grocery store. Like, they don't have any, like kind of radness value anymore and are you going to go my way i tr- if you had said lewis pick five songs you never need to hear again that would be one of them uh and they were i thought awesome it made me like that song for the first time in probably 24 years or something like that and also her has joined this coterie of people who i believe simply live at award shows you know there's like john legend you can't tell me no but john legend we at least see him other places yeah. if you end award shows her would cease to exist right, <laughs> right. <laughs> she is like she is ne- she nearly has a fucking egot and, and, and i cannot place this woman anywhere else no except she does have a really good song out with sweetie right now called yes. um closer which um i love mostly because the internet refers to it as kiss me less <laughs> <laughs> good one internet um also, Lenny Kravitz is going to live forever, I think, and looks the same. Oh, yeah, no. All the time. I think the family is vampires, actually. Right. I mean, Lenny, it's crazy. Um, Lisa, Zoe, it was nice to see Lenny thriving after um, his family took a bunch of stray bullets. That was the actual aftermath of the Oscars, by the way. I feel like people were worried about the Grammys being like, Oh, is it going to go so hard in the other direction where we try to, like, make sure, like, nobody gets slapped on this stage? But the funny thing that I did not expect to happen after the Oscars was, you know, uh, the celebrities who spoke up about what happened then becoming targets and people sort of dragging them through the mud. And the Zoe Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz thing was, I, I will say it was funny, to be honest. It was funny to me because... I feel like the easiest thing to do would be to mind your business. 
I, 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 uh, I had Samantha B on offline. And so I asked her, I was like, are you upset that you don't have a daily show every night and it's got to go once a week because now you can't cover the slap. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? She's like, I am so happy that I don't have to talk about that. And I asked her to talk about it, of course. But she, yeah, I think the best, it's like, why would you want to make a comment? Just shut up. Just go away. Don't, you don't have to say anything. It's fine. No one's going to, no one's going to double check that you said, didn't say anything. I am utterly grateful for her because it always felt to me like uh, Jane Curtin on Weekend Update in the seventies, there was no for a long time, proper successor to the kind of salty, um, eye-roll-laden thing she did as, as as a quote-unquote newscaster. And Samantha B absolutely yeah. has picked up that mantle. Like, it's like, wow, that is like, Nails that it. is a superstar Jane Curtin, which are uh, yeah. words I love saying. Um, by the way, though, speaking of people who are at the Grammys and people who are also at the Oscars, something that sucked about the slap was a few things were overshadowed about that ceremony that I am still processing. And something that nobody has talked about is that Megan Thee Stallion appeared as a surprise cameo during the Encanto song and sang a verse about, yes. about the jokes Amy Schumer, Regina King, and Wanda Sykes were telling. And then we just moved on with life. Like, that's something she does all the time. She said they were killing it with the <laughs> jokes. And I, I, I mean, like, how much did they pay her or how much did they, how much money did they take away from her? I don't know. I just, as she shouted out Zendaya too. (laughs) That was the only celeb she shouted out. (laughs) That was so wild because we, um, we listened to the Encanto soundtrack at my house all day long because uh, Charlie is a huge fan. And so the song comes on at the Oscars and he like, just get out of the bed. He runs into the to the bedroom to see it, and then there's like Megan Thee Stallion's doing a verse, and he was very confused. <laughs> right, very confused. not in the song. <laughs> <on there>. Yeah. <laughs> um, but well, so speaking of Encanto, uh, which you think you listen to all the time, you know, because you have a child, um, but also because you love it, I assume. Um, what are you listening to? in general right now like what like ignoring the grammys um which you know mostly cares about silk sonic and olivia rodrigo at the moment um what are you listening to at home like what's your music jam no uh, on encanto though like this this is what happens in my household like i i have no taste in anything so it's just all osmosis like i you know my emily is the biggest (laughs) taylor swift fan in the world and so for like 10 years of knowing her i've now become a huge taylor swift fan now i'm a, a fan of all the music charlie likes including Encanto. Uh, but when i'm on my own like recently recently because of uh like i'm having a midlife crisis and so i'm like trying to listen to music that reminds me of my high school and college years so mm. i'm listening to the mm. new uh the new chili peppers album uh which i think is, is pretty i good. like it i like black summer it's only natural the heavy wing like really good songs off that i thought it, it it was very jar. I had no idea that the Chili Peppers were going to be releasing a new album until like a single came out a few weeks ago, and it was just very jarring to open up Spotify, uh, which I feel like is how we learn about new music these days. Like you just go to New Music Friday, and you're like, oh, this artist has released a song, and I haven't heard from them in years. Where it used to be like they would show up on MTV, mm-hmm. or you'd see like you know like Press a magazine yeah. or something mm-hmm. that they'd be on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like it, and I've been a I've been like a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan um, for years, uh, and yeah. so I, I appreciate that it's a good album. 
Also, like um, like like the Foo Fighters, I just have this theory that they are all very nice guys. If you see Flea on Twitter, his whole thing will be he just tweets like, you know who I love, gay people. Like it's like <laughs> <laughs> shockingly optimistic for the band that gave you, for instance, Under the Bridge. You know, <laughs> um, there are no. very nice stories about him in Demi Moore's autobiography too. Oh so. right, oh, yeah, interesting. Hopefully, we'll yeah. get into her uh, uh, yeah. later. But by the way, I wanted to say that was also something about the Grammys I loved the. A tribute to Taylor Hawkins. I'm sorry. There's something about him dying that like it, it hurt. Like I'm not, that's not my type of music at all, but like he just had a, such an effervescent quality, loved every second of what he did. I was uh, reacquainted with how cool he was because of the Alanis Morissette Jagged Little Pill documentary, which he's prominently featured and he plays on You Ought to Know and toured with her oh. for that entire time. But um, man, he just seemed fucking cool as hell. You know, just one of those Dave Grohl people who's like thrilled to do what he does. And also like that band specifically, I think, took the dickishness out of the archetypal rock star vibe. They're like, you can yeah. you can represent rock and roll and, you know, a hard rock, quote unquote, hard rock and not be insufferable and not be Axl Rose. And I am thankful to them mm -hmm. for that. Though I um, think that and Nirvana and sort of like that era of music, like the grunge sort of music mm -hmm. era, I think we've talked about that a bit, like with Ben Folds when he mm -hmm. was on too, you know? I think like that era of musicians were just sort of people who grew up with the rock star mentality of like, this is a person who's going to trash a hotel at the Chateau Marmont and maybe they'll overdose in it. Yeah. Uh, and then you got people who are just like, no, we love music. Yeah, right. Yeah. And had like a uh, sensitivity vibe about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of what else I'm listening to. Um, so on my, I have like a, on my workout mix, I have um, that Altigo re remix of uh, Toxic and My Pony uh, is awesome. Um, there's that Lato song, Big Energy, that, that oh, samples sure. uh, fantasy. Oh, it's, 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 it's Lato, John. Lotto? <laughs> it's Lotto. Lotto, because her original name used to Mulatto, be Mulatto. Right? Miss Mulatto. Yeah. yeah. She also, Mulatto. if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know the original name for some reason. I didn't pronounce it. She won some <laughs> rap based television competition, right? That's like how yeah. she came to be. And then she, her name was, uh, she shortened her name eventually. But uh, the Big Energy remix with Mariah Carey on it right yeah, now, that she did yeah, new vocals Mariah on it. now in it. Mm. I don't know how I feel Wait, about Mariah that. Mariah Carey one. didn't do the vocals on it? She did. She did do new vocals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. I feel like I will love it more when the video drops, mm. but right now, um, we grew up in an era where um a Mariah Carey remix was like an event. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Like I I, I, I need, know, I need I to sound that. completely different. You know? I am right now, Lewis knows that the only person I'm listening to is Charlie XCX. I've <laughs> Who I feel, I feel like I've, I get that from your Instagram. Now, now here's the thing. I feel like specifically gay men have are are finally beginning to really adopt this woman as like a, 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 on the level of a Carly Rae Jepsen. Like she's kind of for us, and straight people have seen the name, but we're gonna seek her out in concerts and stuff. I still feel like, and I like all of her songs. When Vroom Vroom comes on, I get it, but I still feel like I'm missing. It's it's like she's lacking a specific memorable identity quality or something that keeps that, that that prevents me from going back to her and i know she's like super smart and cool but i'm just not there yet i'm not there yet 
I would tell you to listen to her recent interview with Zane Lowe mm. for this album, Crash. Um, it's the name of the album, and I just saw the concert um, on Sunday for the second time. I adore her uh that i re recently became like a stan within the past few years charlie's a person who started her career um like 10 years ago in her teens you know like she was making music um when she was young too like at home and so she's sort of like more not she's sort of more of like an alanis morissette like you know this sort of type of person who's like making music on her own and then really sort of finding like weird ways to make sounds into music etc and um the crash marks the end of like it's like her um deal that she had for five records and so now she's sort of at this precipice where she could go mainstream she could continue to be independent um but this is sort of like the culmination of everything that she's represented I would tell people to actually listen to this album first because she has the weird shit like Vroom Vroom, which she makes with her friends in like PC music where p that music that sounds like pots and pans being <laughs> smashed together. Um, but then this album was specifically her being like, I'm making like a pop record, you know, like she'd joke about selling out. Or we being love a sellout pop record. But, Liz Fair, um, we speak your name. Yeah, yes, it's just, right. <laughs> yeah. you know? I've been listening to her because I fo I follow your uh, your Spotify playlist now, and so I was just listening. to Oh, you do? Of, yeah, I, the, the March one. The March one. He could have been killed. <laughs> <laughs> I um, am obsessed with making Spotify playlists now. I feel like I always used to make playlists in general for like parties or something. Now, but uh, now I specifically make a playlist each month and put new songs that I like on it, but and also older songs that are just stuck in my head mostly because i feel like i used to constantly get like dms from people who'd be like oh what are you listening to or if i share like a song in my instagram story i'm like um people are like i missed that the other day you know i feel like we're, we're slipping back into the era where people want to share playlists and music in a more meaningful way um than you just have you know um most of people spotify i feel like it's like mm. workout mix 17 you know this is, or just this is what a bunch <laughs> i love following friends spotify lists because otherwise i'm the type of person with music taste where i'll just mm -hmm. go to like top hits and it's just like 15 top pop hits that have been playing for five months now and it's like gets very old so i, I love doing that well, speaking of current hits, guess who I've been listening to? The first recordings of Barbra Streisand. And I will tell you why. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. Uh, for, uh, for, first of all, um, we're getting the uh, first Funny Girl revival since Barbara did it in the uh, 60s on Broadway with Beanie Feldstein. A few friends of mine have seen it. They've oh. really enjoyed it. So that's really exciting. Beanie Feldstein seems great to me. I'm, I'm thrilled to watch her. But... Um, Barbara Streisand is also turning 80 soon, and uh, the official premiere of this musical will be on her 80th birthday, which is a Sunday, which never happens. So it's like a real specific tribute to her. And I don't know. I'm somebody who gets a little um, in my head worried about people honoring certain legends enough. Like, uh, are we doing enough to um, savor this moment, to uh, celebrate who Barbara Streisand was, is, uh, and... What I've come to realize listening to her first few albums, which have a lot of songs that are like childlike on it. She was sort of playing a childlike character where she she pretends to be five on one. 
uh, she, and, and she, her impish character is there. She, a lot of characterizations we would know later from uh, movies she did. She was really originating on record. And I think the interesting thing about her is she's somebody who could have won a Kennedy Center Honors like three years into her career before she was ever even a movie star in her first movie even. And I think I don't know that anybody has ever gotten to that zenith that quickly. I think Barbara Streisand is the fastest that's ever happened. So if you listen to her first albums and her first album, she won album of the year for at the time for the Grammys. um, Just you are hearing that moment occur. You cannot deny not just the power of what she brings, but how effortless the characterization in her vocals are. This is somebody who, if she was belting, she was also representing, you know, a, a, a kind of wisecracking character on the side while she did that. And that juxtaposition of vivid character and amazing voice, that's never been met. Like we, ha- we have other people in that realm, like Eliza Minnelli, for example, but she really is the like first position, number one of that of all time. And I hope people take time this month when she turns 80 to relish those early recordings specifically. She has so many albums. Oh, so she, she, she might have the most albums. She might have the most albums. Yeah. <laughs> my mom was a huge Barbara Streisand fan. That's all I remember growing up listening to Barbara because my mother loved her so much and then would like sing her songs all the time. All right. Well, be like your mom, John Favreau. That's what this lesson is yeah, today. I was say, I'll, so. I'll dig back into it after this conversation. Now I'm inspired. Uh, uh, all right. Well, I think we've exhausted music and the Grammys. Um, but when we're back... We're going to speak to a music icon. Uh, Lewis and I have a chat with Cheryl Lee Ralph coming up next. And then after that, more Keep It with John Favreau. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes. When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. (laughs) 
They don't make legends like our guest today anymore. A Tony Award nominee, she has also been working in Hollywood consistently since she was 19, earning her three NAACP Image Award nominations, plus an Independent Spirit Award. You can currently catch her on the only network sitcom anyone has been talking about in forever. (laughs) Please welcome Abbott Elementary's own Mrs. Howard, Cheryl Lee Ralph. Oh, Miss Miss Ralph. Let, yes. first, first of all, let me tell you, we can catch you at Abbott Elementary, but you can also catch your voice literally every morning when I listen to the Thoroughly Modern Millie soundtrack, specifically oh, for wow. the Thoroughly Modern Millie cast recording, specifically when I listen to you singing only in New York. I just recently moved back to New York, too, and so it's been like an anthem for me. That's so interesting that you bring that up because, um, what is it? Um, 54 Below just mm-hmm. reached out to me. They're celebrating, I think, either five or 10 years, something like that. And they asked me, would I come and join the performers, you know, in a anniversary concert? And I thought to myself, what song would I sing? You know, and then I said, oh, my God, it's going to be 20 year anniversary of Thoroughly Modern Millie. And the song to sing in this time would be only in New York. All right, so how so, do I sneak into yes. how do I sneak into that? <laughs> I think it's next month, May 2nd. All right, May 2nd, yeah. I think that's it. So I'll let you know. But listen, here's something else you can clear up for me. If you have been nominated for a Tony and you win like best musical or best soundtrack or best this, does that mean that you're actually a Tony winner? And if you get nominated for a Grammy, and you win Best Albums Cast Recording, does that mean that you're a Grammy winner? And if you get nominated for an Image Award and you win Best Show, does that mean you're an an Image Award winner? I need to know. It's very confusing, but I feel like, you know, well, here's the thing, here's the thing. you, You deserve credit for making that musical production, whatever happened. As an award stalwart, I have to unfortunately hold up a stop sign, Cheryl Lee Ralph, and say no. Oh, but... no. <laughs> no, say it ain't so. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be the crossing guard of this, but it's just the truth of the matter. Yeah. You know, I was ready after watching the Grammys on Sunday. I was like, wait, we won Best Cast Recording. Don't I deserve a Grammy? Should I go get that golden album? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was a part of the cast that sang those songs. I need mine. Oh, well. No, your office should look like Quincy Jones's or something. There should be like, yeah, plaques, et cetera, all over the place. Something, (laughs) exactly. But you squashed my dream. Okay. I know. I didn't think that would be me today, but alas. It's all good. No, wait. Okay. So we'll start with Abbott Elementary. How does it feel, first of all, just to be part of a show that people care about and that is on normal television like TV used to be? Like, do you feel like you're in this strange kind of um, old school space, but feeling very current and uh, rad at the same time? You know something? I am in the most amazing show on TV right now, and people love it. And they don't hold back showing me their love, telling me about their love, 
talking about the show, tweeting about the show, being socially current about the show, on time about the show, watching the show. I am in the space that every TV actor dreams about, and that is being on a hit show. And I got to tell you, it feels good. It feels amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought I felt good when Moesha was on TV and, you know, people were talking about it. This is light years beyond that. And it feels good. And the fact that I work with people I like. Do you know that sometimes we talk with each other and we're like, oh, I miss you. Oh, I'd really like to see you. Like, OK, let's get together. Most times we don't, but at least we know that we get it when we said it. You know, it is the it is the greatest feeling. Yeah, I feel great. It's. I feel like actors all the time are asked about if they hang out off the set. It's like, guys, they are on the set all the time. There's not much need for them to hang out at other times. Oh, absolutely not. You know, although I got, I have to tell you, Lisa and I, we like to go shopping, and we really like really, really good food. So. It's always fun to have somebody who enjoys that. Quinta and I like to share thoughts. So there's there's that thought exchange. Um, Tyler and I, it's always talking about, wow, doesn't this feel good to be on another hit show? <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. So a lot of us share a lot of things in, in common that, makes for good relationships. And it was so funny when we did that episode about work family, because we mm -hmm. really are a work, we really are a work family. And it's, it's, I hope it stays that way. And, you know, you never know, but God has blessed us with something very wonderful right now. Mm -hmm. It's so uh, yeah. exciting to hear you talk about how, you know, this is it even feels different than Moesha. And I'm sure uh, for Tyler, like it feels very different from like everybody hates Chris, but it's so interesting because everybody hates Chris and like Moesha are like black sitcom classics, you know? And you imagine, um, I remember when, when, did you feel some of that when like Moesha came to Netflix and then all of a sudden you had like people rediscovering it and being able to talk about it in a way that like, you know, if I was able to be online talking about Moesha when it was airing, when I was watching it uh, as yeah. a kid, you, you, I would have been in your inbox every week. <laughs> It's, let me tell you something. When Moesha came to Netflix, something brand new happened for the show. It was as if I got a brand new audience of very young people and they were into the show. I was, I shoot another show called Motherland Fort Salem in Canada. And this week I was up there shooting and a gaggle of little girls were there for maybe, maybe it was, cheer camp or something you know you can tell them because they have those big glitter bows and things in their hair <laughs> and all these little girls were gathered around and i walked in and i i did have on a great coat i was dressed wonderfully and one of them <laughs> turned around and she said oh you look beautiful your coat is fabulous and I said, it is fabulous, isn't it? <laughs> and they all started giggling and laughing and they got on the elevator and the little one peeked her head out and she said, hey, aren't you that lady from that show? And I was like, okay, is she talking about Abbott or is she talking about Moesha? 
but it's a whole <laughs> new audience of young kids and it's great. It's great, really great. Cause they want to talk, you know, before, you know, kids just wanted your, your autograph or something or to ask you how much money you make. But these kids, they want to know about the show. They want to know about how you feel. They want to know how much you make, of course, but it, it's, it's different this time. And I really like it. About Moesha, do you find that people's thoughts on the show now maybe differ than how they perceived maybe your character um, in the 90s? <laughs> now, that's a good question, because it depends upon how old they are watching the show now. <laughs> if they I watch the show and I'm on your side. I'm on your side you. now when I rewatch it. I'm like, Moesha, you need to be in trouble. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And the thing that gets me now is if you were younger and watching the show, you you couldn't stand me as a child because you said I was too strict. You said I wanted too much out of her. I wouldn't let her be a child. If you're an adult now who watched it as a child, you're like, Miss Rouse, I get it. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I am so sorry for the things I thought when I was young. So it all depends how old you are. But a lot of the kids now, they say things like, I wish I had a mom like that. Or I wish my Aww. stepmom was like that. Or, I, oh my God, the number of kids that write their little stories talking about how they understand the importance of boundaries. It's really, sometimes it's heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. Yeah. Now, we've talked about a couple of the shows you've been on, but the fact is you've actually been on every television show. <laughs> looking back at your filmography, it's like there's either recurring roles or you were on an episode or you were main cast. Do you have any like like hidden gems in your catalog that you're either particularly proud of or were particularly great experiences. Like I had to like, like search my mind. Oh yeah. Cheryl Lee Ralph was on designing women. Like I, like, like all these like thought bubbles keep popping back up of the places you've been in your career. Well, I think one of the most recent that I'm really very proud of, and I think it's a show that people for whatever reason, you know, they haven't been able to see it or it has a niche audience. And that's a series called motherland Fort Salem. And on Motherland Fort Salem, it airs on Freeform and streams on Hulu. I play the, the 45th president in an alternative United States of America. And she's a very formidable president. And it's one of the roles I'm very, very proud of. It's, the series has been written by Elliot Lawrence, who also created Claws. And it's a very dynamic series that for so many, you know, People don't understand that a lot of our, our scripts, they're written at least a year to six months before you ever see the show. So I've, I'm saying things that are mirroring what's going on in the world. And sometimes I'm shocked at what comes out of my mouth, you know, if, if it makes it to the screen or the interactions that are taking place between people in the world, you know. No one could have foreseen Ukraine a year ago. But if you look at the series now, you're like, oh, my God, this Elliot Lawrence must have uh, a vision eye in his head or something. How can he think of these situations? I'm very, very proud of that. There was also some some you know steps taken with my character in Designing Women, 
where I went against the grain. They did a flip on Gone with the Wind that I was Scarlett O'Hara. And the, and the <laughs> things that Scarlett did as a white woman are very different when they were, are done <laughs> by me as a young black woman. Oh my gosh, it is something to see. Also, when I look back on my very first film role, I was, oh my God, I had the greatest mentor in Sidney Poitier. And my first mm. film was called- A Piece of the Action. Uh, a, yes, A Piece of the Action. And it's so interesting when I look at Barbara Hanley in A Piece of the Action, so many people, and I'm, I'm shocked when people are able to do that, they paired up young Barbara Hanley with the now older Barbara Howard from Abbott Elementary and said, this is why Barbara Howard is an amazing teacher, because she knows what it is to be a challenged child and student. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my ah. God. You, I mean, the fact that I could have that 360-degree moment in fans or people who appreciate your work is truly wonderful. It's really a gift. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's such a joy to watch Abbott Elementary every week. And it's, it's truly what I say people are talking about it, not just online. I am, I am like hanging out with friends on the weekend. Uh, and it's like, if like a friend's like, I haven't seen the new Abbott yet. And like, I'll rewatch it with them. Just like pull it up on Hulu. Like the way that we watch it, like it's like, like it's Game of Thrones or Succession uh, is truly remarkable to me. And I want to know what it's like working with, um, you know, the icon that is Quinta, who I used to work with her back at BuzzFeed when she oh, was wow. making um, her internet videos and like sort of blowing up there. And now to see, to see where she is now running a show, you know? Yeah. Um, what's it like working with Quinta? What sort of, you know, um, wisdom um, have you been able to impart on her, you know, having been on um, successful television shows before? You know what? She's very smart. You've worked with her. You know this. She's very smart. She, uh, you know what? Sometimes there are people who are, when they're young, they're actually older. And she is one of those young, young people with an older spirit. And my father used to always say about me, you've been here several times before, you know? So it's, it's, I'm also someone who has been able to realize maybe I've lived here before, but I know certain things. So sometimes when we talk, we're, we're on the same page. And I know this is an odd thing. But I'm probably the only person who is, and I will say, the mature person who has a baby boss. And I can say, my boss is a baby and I love her. Oh, my God. <laughs> the things I have learned from that baby have been amazing. I, I love working with Quinta. You know, she's, she's sometimes like one of those people who... And I do this a lot too. Sometimes I'll think about something before I'm ready to say something about that. And she does the same thing. And I love that because that way, I always tell people never speak in anger. If you're truly upset about something, walk away. Come back later and say, okay, about 
what you said. Here's what I think now, <laughs> you know, and we never have that kind of extreme, but she's very bright. She's very sharp. She's very kind. You know, she will, she will look at the shade of orange I might have on. And I love that because every little thing means something. I've been on a lot of shows where a lot of things, they didn't mean anything. You know, they were just things. They were just clothes you put on. They were just things you mm -hmm. said. But when I, in working with this show, the words that come out of our mouth matter. And contrary to belief, we're not a bunch of actors up there improving. It's not improvisation. You know, our show is well written. When it comes down to the things that we wear and what our characters look like, everything matters. You know, sometimes I say to people, you should look at the jewelry I'm making because every now I'm not making uh, that I'm wearing because every now and then I'm wearing something kind of special, but you have to pay attention to know what it means. You know, what, what about the kind of woman that is a Barbara Howard and what do those pearls really mean? Why does she wear that cameo that's different as in very different? You know, because you've probably never seen something like that before. You know, why is it that everybody else wears a lanyard and you never see Barbara Howard in a lanyard? You have to catch it because you have mm -hmm. to know that all of that means something to that character. So mm -hmm. that's I those are the kind of things I love about working with Quinta. And she has this all in her head. It's I mean, can you imagine what kind of brain she must have to be able to compartmentalize all of these things about this show in, in, and the ability to put a show in order so that the layers are peeled back on characters? It's, I'm, that's why people love it. That's why people love it. And who knew that uh, Mr. Profetti was into a bear? Who knew it? <laughs> i love larry owen so much um it was so exciting seeing him on the show but not just him every guest star that pops up on the show it's like yes exactly that is e exactly who i envisioned in this role oh well you ain't ready yet just wait <laughs> <laughs> Now, I just remembered that a few years ago, you were involved with a production about Sylvester. And I think uh, the the famous disco singer, uh, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. Um, and I was so thrilled by that. I was wondering if you had any particular memories of him that you uh, would like to share with us, since he is, as far as I'm concerned, still a one-of-a-kind pop culture presence. There is no second Sylvester. There is no second Sylvester. I don't know about a lot of people, but I will never, ever forget and this was way back in the day. Sylvester put on his dress, his big hair, his lashes, his nails, and he showed up on the Johnny Carson show. And America was like, <laughs> what new fresh heaven hell is this right here? And he sat there in his wonderfulness and just, you know, was there for his, his interview. And in working on this, this piece with um, Anthony and Kendrell, you know, it was a musical. And it was um, paying homage 
to this great spirit, this great voice. You know, very, very few people realize that, you know, Sylvester had his wedding in San Francisco. He got married to his partner in San Francisco back in the day in his white wedding gown and the Pointer Sisters were his bridesmaids. This man, oh, this is all true. This man was so ahead of his wonderful time. And sadly, he was one of the first people we lost to AIDS. But, you know, when they had that AIDS, uh, when they had that AIDS march there in San Francisco and he could not walk anymore and he was not going to be left out. and He was there in his wheelchair. And wow, you know, when you talk about people that you lost too soon, you know, he was one of those people that you really, you just lost way too soon, you know? And he was, I just, you know, I just wish that he were, you know, around today. You know, he was, he was good people. He was really unique and one of a kind, really unique and one of, the, one of a kind. And he really deserves more and people should be speaking about him more. And I really hope that at some point I'm able to get this this musical mounted and up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, uh, so we we uh we've talked about Sylvester many times on this show. I mean, it's it's just sort of he's one of the blueprints of music, you know. And it's um yeah. it's so exciting to introduce someone to a Sylvester song that isn't "You Make Me Feel" by right. real, you know. I'm like the deep cuts are where it's at. And, you know, it's what's so interesting is not just so much the music, but it's a movement, you know, music and the movement to include all people in our lives and who we are. He was at the forefront of that. And very often people who are at the forefront do not get what they deserve. And he's one of those people. So did you know him um, when you did Dream Girls? Was he able to yeah. see you on stage? Who didn't I know doing Dream Girls? Dream Girls <laughs> I mean, I like, feel like you had to know oh everybody. Everybody. <laughs> Let me tell you, I will never forget the days. They called me down to the stage door and they said, someone's here to see you. And I said, okay, you know, it's like close to half an hour. And Dream Girl was a show where you needed more than 30 minutes to get ready to get on stage, right? So um, I was usually there by 7.15 and I come down to the stage door and Diane von Furstenberg is at the state door. Mm. And she has a gift for me. And it was her new perfume. And it was called Volcan de Amor. And I remember, <laughs> and I can still see Diane von Furstenberg at the stage door saying in that accent of her, I have a gift for you. And I took it and I was like, <laughs> oh my God, wow. I will never forget the time Nancy Wilson, great, the black one, great jazz mm. artist. Nancy oh, yes, Wilson yes. Showed up after her performance across town in her long limousine and said, Shirley Ralph, let's go for a ride and talk. <laughs> wow. Like the Godfather. Okay. okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know that woman stayed with me until her last breath in life? Um, I will never forget Luther Vandross 
Mm. Luther Vandross loved dream girls and loved Jennifer and loved the dreams. And one day he showed up. This was before he had made up his mind. He was going to really lose the weight. And he was very serious about his relationship with weight. And one day we had a conversation in Vegas about the weight and he showed up with a bucket of chicken and sat in the dressing room and talked about the show. And we all ate chicken. I will never forget that. <laughs> One day, he stuck with me very long after that. And I, you know, I got married. I had my son, my first child. And he said to me, I'm performing in Vegas. I need you to come, but don't forget the baby. And I'll, I'll never forget these pictures we took. And it was just him talking to me, but holding my child and just talking, just talking, mm. you know, and then mm. time passed and it was him, my first child and my daughter. And it like, wow. And then life, you know, then life happens. But those are those are three things I'll never forget. There were many, many more. The way Sylvester Stallone looked at me in one snapshot. Yes, and called me in for it. Yes, he, he did call me in for an audition for a movie, but the audition did take place in a hotel room. But I did go. So I feel like we need just a we just need one uh book that's just everyone in the Dream Girls cast telling a story about who showed up at the stage door. I oh, want honey. the Dream Girls stage door book. <laughs> that part right there. I might have to steal that from you and start working on it now. No, go ahead. It's all yours. It's all Thank your stories. You. I, I just want to read it. So. Thank you. That part. Uh, I, I want the, I want the audio book too, though. Like you yes, have to be telling yes, it also. Yes. So. Okay, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. Run your scales and then do that one. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you so much for being here, Shirley Ralph. It's, it is truly an honor to be able to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'm always, you know, when people say that, I'm just like, okay. I, you know, I guess I'm the one. I don't get it as much. I guess I'd have to go back and look at my IMDB and say, Okay, maybe you really have done something, you know. Um, but thank you. Mm -hmm. No, it, you know, we, I just said it about Sylvester, but it's like the the energy is not like other people. Again, it's like we only have one Cheryl Lee Ralph. If we if we if we if we misplace her, there's no second one who picks up the slack. So oh. that's uh, it, it's so thrilling to get to talk to somebody like that because it's the one and only. You know. Oh, thank you. Although I have two children, and they are. They're pretty good. They've they've gotten oh, yeah. yeah, between my son and daughter, they've got their own kind of energy. And I'm just like, wow. I sometimes, you know what? Maya Angelou one time looked at me. It was towards the end of her life. And she invited me to hear her speak. And she couldn't speak. And I spoke. And she said, Shirley Ralph, every time I hear you speak, I know it was all worth it. And these two right here. And she was looking at my children. She said, will be your greatest achievement. She said, there is nothing I could ever do not to ensure the success of my children. And I, time has passed and I so understand what that means. I so understand what that means. 
Yeah. And let's not forget that Maya Angelou also a Tony nominated actress. So these are just a couple of colleagues talking here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> wow. Abbott Elementary airs Tuesdays on ABC and you can find all the old episodes on Hulu. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again Ocean City, Maryland somewhere to smile about book your trip at oceocean.com Bruce Willis, one of the most iconic actors of the last 40 years, recently announced that he's retiring from acting. Uh, Last week, his daughter, Rumor, um, posted on Instagram that he was retiring after health problems and a recent diagnosis for aphasia, which is a language disorder caused by damage in a specific area of the brain that controls language expression and comprehension. Aphasia leaves a person unable to communicate effectively with others. Um, and so obviously this has led to a lot of um, people remembering Bruce Willis, um, you know, writing um, pieces about him. And so I wanted us to take a moment to talk about why we love Bruce Willis. And I would say that I love him mostly because of not even his movies. It's because of Moonlighting, the TV series. Oh, which I... I, I, I thankfully just watched the first episode of it, which is, I, I would say, the most quote-unquote iconic episode of that show. It was a two-hour premiere in, in the mid-'80s. If you don't know Moonlighting, Bruce Willis, uh, Sybil Shepard, they end up running a detective agency after she's a, she's a, this bankrupted star who finds that in her tax write-off she has this t- detective agency, and they end up uh, as uh, colleagues solving crimes together. Um, and it becomes kind of a normal procedural, actually. But in this first episode they the mismatched comic energy is there she's prim and over it and you know and he's like you know a a sunglasses snapping asshole and it just nothing could be more 80s in terms of you know uh cokey thrills you know just like the music is playing we're dashing in the streets she's a bitch he's an asshole you know that and miami vice everything is there with the cokey thrills yes right but i would actually say that uh i would Balk against the like it becoming mostly a normal procedural because the thing about moonlighting is that every TV writer of a certain age, like mostly people older than me, have um they were inspired by moonlighting. When you look at shows like X Files, Pushing Daisies, like things that sort of like break the form of TV, um it started with moonlighting. I would actually say the most iconic episodes in season two. It's called the Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice, and it's a completely black and white noir episode. And what moonlighting did early on was episodes would just be like in randomly different genres or they do a black and white one or they do one that's like set in some weird location uh, and it was really sort of one of those early precursors to i guess sort of like streaming tv which does that all the time but i point out moonlighting because i feel like people know bruce willis from 
Die Hard and the action movies, or they love his sure. sci-fi films. And people are always sort of shocked at how funny he is yeah. and like how much like pathos he has as an actor. And it's all on display in Moonlighting. Like his comedic timing is impeccable on Moonlighting. And and when you watch him in comedies, I think then you get um you get some of that that people miss in his performances. No, I mean that my favorite Bruce Willis movies, well, I, outside of the Die Hard uh series and I think that my favorite in that series is Die Hard with a Vengeance because I think the chemistry between him and Samuel L Jackson is fantastic, fantastic and a perfect re- film. Perfect film. They're both funny. It's just it's amazing. But my my next two films are Death Becomes Her and the whole nine yards. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay. Just Death like, becomes like, her. So, so funny. So funny. Death becomes her is a gay classic. Uh, obviously, you know, um, because of Goldie Hawn and uh, Meryl Streep. But Bruce Willis is so fucking good in that movie. So good. And you would never intuitively cast him. It's very strange casting. Yeah, you think you'd know? cast like some dorky guy because that's the character he plays. Yeah, but it's, uh, he's he's perfect in it. Right. No, like Ed Begley Jr. was in She Devil. I'm sure he could have been. He, I'm sure he could have been back for Death Becomes Her. You know. And I'd forgotten how much I fucking love the whole nine yards. That was the. That was like. Um, I've seen it like it was five definitely times. Early two thousand. Yeah, it was an early two thousands movie. So it was definitely a movie where I was in high school and I like went to the movie theater on the weekend and saw it. And I think I saw that movie in theaters at least one or two more times. It's really, really funny. Amanda Peet is great. Michael Clark Duncan's great. Natasha Henstridge. Like, it's a great, great cast in that. I almost think beyond his movie roles, and obviously he was in classics like The Sixth Sense, um, there's something about just the constancy of Bruce Willis that is important. And I, and I think sort of like the glue of pop culture guys. You know, you can always expect a, a Bruce Willis movie to come out every year. And whether or not you see it, you're like, happy it's there. I would compare it to... If I'm turning on the TV at 7.30 every night, guess who's there? Pat and Vanna. And it's like it's 1983. You know, <laughs> Literally watching the Grammys the other day. Keith Urban, 20 years on, still looking like a shift manager at PacSun. You know, there are just certain things where you want them to be the same. And you get the same thing again and again. And, you know, as much as you want, whatever, progress to occur. New, innovative television movies, music, etc. You also want something to remain of the old. And Bruce Willis was so constant in what he brought, you know, whether or not the movie was good. I mean, I, I remember there's this Bruce Willis movie called The Color of Night, which had to have won 100 Razzies, but I watched it because Leslie Ann Warren is in it and she gives a really good performance. So go and watch The Color of Night for Leslie Ann Warren. And the Razzies took back his nominations. Um, when he when his diagnosis came, but cool. also the Razzies should the Razzies should vanish in general. You know who who needs the Razzies anymore? Like we have Twitter. Twitter is the yes. Razzies all the, the time. The whole internet. <laughs> yeah, that's no even generous. The, the whole internet is Razzies. Yes, correct. That's right, yeah. Um, so it's it's people like that who just by virtue of continuing to work our institutions, and he uh, represents that. I always get a little nervous when a celebrity diagnosis leads people to suddenly learning about some syndrome or illness or whatever. But honestly, that is routinely how people end up knowing critical information about things. Again, like the word anorexia was not available to the world really until Karen Carpenter died of it. So um, in a way, I, I like that kind of confluence of health and media, I think. 
I had heard about aphasia only because um, Gabby Giffords, the congresswoman from uh, Tucson, when she was shot, like one of the uh, afflictions she had after after recovering from that gun injury was aphasia. So she's talked about it a lot. And she actually did mm. a video about Bruce Willis when this came out just recently. Oh, she did. I didn't see mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. She told people yeah. to like learn more about the disease because it seems it seems horrible. I will say that one thing that's come out of this, too, is the conversation about whether or not um, I guess it was appropriate for like producers who knew he had aphasia or some sort of cognitive disease happening um, to still be making movies. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was going through this. It's like, look, the the most uh, benevolent scenario here is that it's possible that he believed that he would improve, that he could improve, because a lot of people with aphasia do, especially with speech therapy, and that, you know, there were reports that sometimes he showed up to the set and he was in good shape and he was better. And so maybe because this is his whole life and he wants to do this, it was just the people around him being unwilling to tell him, like, hey, step back. That's like the benevolent scenario. The one that sort of the L.A. Times story was suggesting was a little more exploitative, which would be pretty sad if that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, he he's not Ronald Reagan, you know. He wasn't wandering around um, on, on set with um, nuclear codes. Uh, so there's, there's at least that. Um, but it does explain why when you look at Bruce Willis's IMDb, uh, or like um, when people looked at his IMDb this week, they were like, why are there like 60 B-movies that have not come out yet? Right. He, yeah. He's one of those, uh, we call that the Eric Roberts syndrome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, that is um, a little bit, I mean, that's the producer's fault. They, they bear some responsibility there because they were saying that like, you know, they just put him on. He was a he was a main character in a lot of these movies just so they could put him on the poster, put him on the thumbnail and then sell the movie internationally, which is pretty shitty. Yeah. Uh, well, someone in Indonesia is going to see all those movies <laughs> um, on whatever the version of HBO Max is there. Um, it's it's interesting thinking about him as sort of like a mainstay in popular culture, too, because he has like, you know, he's been in so many eras, his 80s action movie era. Uh, the 90s is really sort of um, dominated sort of by his relationship with Demi Moore. Um, the 2000s was like the Sixth Sense um, era. Um, and what I also loved is seeing his family rally around him because what I what really sort of told me that I liked Bruce Willis sort of as a celebrity um, early on when I was younger was the fact that he was still always around Demi even when she was with Ashton Kutcher. Right, right, right. Um, uh, very David Arquette still working with Courtney Cox and making that game show they had mm -hmm. together. Yes. Um, also, I have to say about Bruce Willis, you forget sometimes. Scream? Scream is a game show? Uh, no. Uh, uh, oh, also Scream. Celebrity yeah, name game. Right. Celebrity name game. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, oh, that's right. Um, no. Uh, uh, I also forget that Bruce Willis, though, because you would always want him back like th he, he's the only person who brings that specific vibe you do forget he is in some of the biggest bombs ever he is in like the bonfire of the vanities <laughs> he is <Yeah>. in <laughs> he is in north he is in a movie that at the time i did think was the worst movie i had ever seen armageddon <laughs> you <laughs> hate you really armageddon oh no oh my god the scene where 
like Ben Affleck is push, pushing an animal cracker down the like panty strap of Liv Tyler. I was like, heterosexuality is not for me. I'm over. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I think That's fair. I would actually say the worst uh, Bruce Willis movie I've seen is um, 2007 Perfect Stranger with Halle Berry. Oh, well. Halle Berry in the late 2000s. I mean, tough time. But what what happens in that movie? Yeah. It's sort of like um, Halle Berry is an investigative reporter. Uh, and she's, she, by the way, she's uh, investigating a um, sex scandal with a senator um, with Giovanni Ribisi. Right. Another person uh, who's in every movie. And, yes. Yeah. Her childhood friend um, dies. Um and so um, she, because her childhood friend works for Bruce Willis, uh, who's like a advertising exec. And so when the, her friend is found dead, Halle Berry then has to sort of ingratiate herself into Bruce Willis's life to like um, prove, you know, like her friend's murder uh, or something. And it's awful because the twist is insane. It's one of those sort of like 2000s thrillers which has an insane twist in it um, which at the end you're like what the fuck did I just watch? But basically the twist is that um, Halle Berry um, was the killer and sort of didn't mm. know she was the killer. Oh, one of those, yes. I don't know I was and so, the like, killer. She ki- yeah, so she like <laughs> kills, she kills Bruce Willis at the end of the movie and like after she has like a psychotic break. I'll set with that, I think. <laughs> that said, I do enjoy hysterics acting from Halle Berry. So maybe there's th- three minutes of good material in there. I mean, that and Gothica, um, right. the double feature that we're waiting for, right? I just want to say, um, okay, I'm going to leave this topic alone. <laughs> Gothica was a movie when I was in high school, everybody went and saw. What the fuck was wrong with us? Like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I obviously have to go see Gothica. No, you don't. What? <laughs> Gothica is yeah, I would say that Gothica is weirdly a movie for, for people our specific age group where I don't know what happened the year it came out I feel like everyone our age has seen Gothica no, I right? never saw Gothica I never okay. I, I totally missed that movie well that's why society is still on track you were in yeah. college I was in college you okay. were in college when Gothica came out no, then that's John. why you I were didn't see, high I didn't school students everyone in high school during the period Gothica came out somehow saw it on the weekend uh, even though I guess the movie did f- I don't know if the movie flopped actually but somehow everyone's seen Gothica anyway um, uh, no but, but I guess the closest Bruce Willis ever got to an Oscar nomination would have been The Sixth Sense right I mean like yeah. obviously I think that year is has a great best actor lineup but he didn't really and he's in Pulp Fiction obviously and 12 Monkeys but his intersection with prestige was you know were few and far between he, he did uh he did win an emmy for his uh guest starring role on friends and he has an emmy of course for moonlighting too so of course yeah. for moonlighting yeah, yeah. But late, yes. later in life uh if the oscars didn't suck um sometimes he would have a award for Unbreakable. I or yeah. when people love Moonrise Kingdom. When people Moonrise Kingdom. When people love Unbreakable, I'm like, are you sure? I, I, Unbreakable is a good movie, Lewis. It was pretty it good. Was, it was, pretty it good. was <laughs> fine. I saw that one in the theater too, and I'm like, I oh, will, you're Mr. Fucking I Glass. Actually, Here I go. <laughs> 
I will actually classify Unbreakable as, I think we talked about these kind of movies weeks ago. Unbreakable is one of the movies that, as a kid, um, who, like, liked movie reviews and, like, Roger and Ebert and, like, would sort of write my own, like, in the school paper or something. I saw Unbreakable, and for whatever mindset I was in then of the, like, hating M. Night Shyamalan um, phase of my life, I hated Unbreakable. And I was like, this movie sucks. And I would constantly reference it as like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I rewatched it as an adult and I love it. Okay. Well, and I have no idea like where my, I love that journey for you. I feel like it's somewhere in between. I think it's in the two and a half star range where Shyamalan comfortably lived until, you know, the two thousands took him somewhere subterranean, shall we say. (laughs) I also revisited Disney's the kid. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, with Lily wow. Tomlin? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember with Lily, that. I remember Lily Tomlin, Gene Smart, um, the Angus, the kid who's in it. It's a really sweet um, movie. And I think Roger Ebert in his review pointed out that, you know, like for people who like were of the, who have missed the era, you know, of like a moonlighting or um, Death Becomes Her, um, where he's sort of like very good at comedy, like the comedy and pathos that like Bruce Willis exhibits as an actor um, is on display in that movie, which is sort of like a two and a half star movie. It's sort of too long, um, but it's really sweet. What about Look Who's Talking? Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking too. I mean, a major major part of my life is getting over the fact that Kirstie Alley should be like an awesome person. And instead, she is what she is now. a terrible person. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, like I loved not just look who's talking, obviously, cheers to and fat actress was so good. And she's this person who for a while on Twitter, I've, I've brought this up before, I think truly seeking out gay comics. She just messages like gay people I know from time to time. And you want her to be like. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, I called her the people's Lauren Bacall a few weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. And <laughs> alas, alas and alack, it's like, I, I'm, it sucks. Just, it just totally sucks. Uh, well, um, I've been revisiting Bruce Willis movies. And uh, aside from the ones we've mentioned, uh, I feel like uh, people should make a point to watch The Last Boy Scout, which I think is great. And sort of missed in his action movie um, oeuvre because people tend to just think of um, Die Hard, but like the late Tony Scott directed that movie, um, and he was the better director of the Scott brothers, unfortunately. No, 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 that uh, movie. And, and Shane Black uh, wrote the script. So, oh, interesting. You know, you don't like Man on Fire, Enemy of State, Days of Thunder. Enemy oh, of, you, yeah, Enemy of State, Days of Thunder are great. Did you say Days of Thunder third? Like that? Sh- that's like the third best movie he made because. Uh, no, I'm just naming uh, them. Okay. Deja Vu with Will, with uh with Denzel. Days Days of Thunder Underrated. is watered down Top Gun. Like it's the same. That's movie. true. It's still yeah. good. I, I'm tr- I'm I'm trolling a little bit. I do love Ridley okay, Scott. Well, but um Tony Scott. You can't troll a made, troll. Um, is all how- I'm saying. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> all I'm saying is um House of Gucci would have been a lot better. If Tony Scott at directed that. We can agree on that. We can agree on. Uh, All right, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode, keep it. My keep it is to John being here. I know. I'm kidding. It's very uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm kidding. We're. 
this is the new era now. This we like it. John Favreau. Okay. The oh, vibes are not off. They're on. We've decided. They're on. Great. This is great. Vibe yeah. shift. Here's uh, the shift. John, you're our guest of honor this week. What is your keep it? Uh, so my keep it is about how, you know, we found out this week that uh, Elon Musk uh, owns 9.2% of Twitter. It makes him right. the... The, the largest investor, one of its most attention-starved users. So he was, like, required to disclose this in a filing on Monday. But um, he bought these shares that are now worth, like, $2.9 billion on March 14th. A week and a half later, once he's the company's largest shareholder, he tweets, Free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle? The consequences of this poll will be important. Please vote carefully. A few days later, he tweets that he'd been giving serious thought to creating a new social media platform, as he's already the owner of of Twitter, big owner. And then yesterday, he was asking everyone if they want an edit button. Today, we found out he's joined the board. So now everyone's asking, like, what he's going to do. Like, is he going to let Trump back on Twitter? Is he going to let Ira back on Twitter? Right. Here's what I think. Synonyms. I think he should. We've been having conversations. We've been having conversations. <laughs> I think my, my take on this is that he should not let anyone back on Twitter. I hope he takes over the whole fucking company and shuts it down. Just delete everyone's account. Call it a day. Save journalism. Save democracy. Save us all from ourselves. I think that'd be the best, the best, like you're, you're a better person. You've survived, right? Ira? Now that you're not on Twitter. I've survived. Um, <laughs> am I a better person? Some would say you let me on the show. I think that's, a, that's an improvement. <laughs> let me you on the show. Uh, yeah. Right. Let me, yeah. <laughs> um, I got it. We, to be honest, we got an email from crooked. <laughs> Uh, and it said John will be on Keep It this right. week. Yeah. No, That's I, how I roll. Um, That's how I roll. <laughs> I actually do not think he's going to do any of that. We cannot count on Elon Musk to save democracy. No. You know, and I think that I, I don't know what it means for Twitter. Um, it sounds insane that he is an owner now. Um, but I guess I sort of expected chicanery to happen at twitter once jack dorsey walked away from it right that's kind of true um it 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 leaves me with a sense of unease and dis-ease but tbd i have no response to this elon musk is somebody i refuse to think about which actually dovetails nicely with my keep it speaking of twitter and things that are (laughs) expired Sarah Palin is back in our lives okay oh yeah she wants to go to congress and donald trump has like endorsed her with, with a long-winded, bad endorsement, he Wikipedia'd her or whatever he had to do to f- remember who she was. We have already made every possible Sarah Palin joke. I have nothing left. Though, also, sh- she is in this Caitlyn Jenner universe of no one respects Sarah Palin. No one is like, well, thank God she was here to contribute A, B, and C. She's not contributed shit. This person sucks. <laughs> I've, already discussed, I've already described her as somebody who has been... Um, chased by the same bee for 20 years. She seems like always like, there's the bee again. Like, her vibe is recently electrocuted, you know? Um, (laughs) We talked about this on Pod Save America yesterday at the end. And I thought the same thing. I was like, I have nothing more to say about Sarah Palin. Lovett had a good joke, which he said, she's now looking at Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and saying, 
those assholes are um, like half as smart, but I have read half as much as them. (laughs) 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 I am am half as well read as them, even though I'm twice as smart. So I got to get ass in Congress. There are levels there. Right. Yeah. Um, That's the thing about it to me that like she we've said everything there is to say about Sarah Palin, but also she's so unsuccessful at a at a grift that so many other people have become successful at post her right like those people like a lord bobbert or marjorie taylor green are like cribbing from the sarah palin playbook but like you could just sort of do that in politics now because of her oh yeah Um, she she gave it she helped give us trump yeah you know so like she's you know she's the um She's the house mother of the GOP, uh, but um, she will not win any trophies at the ball. No, absolutely not. She she just doesn't have the like, I guess I would call it like maniacal confidence that comes with most of the territory on this. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene is somebody who's just like fire in her eyes. I would compare her to uh, Cruella driving the car, you know, in that scene in the original mm-hmm. 101 Dalmatians, just like gas pedal <laughs> is pressed. Like whatever comes out of my mouth, may it fly out. You know, yeah. I would actually say the problem with her is that um, unfortunately, I don't think Sarah Palin is evil. I think she's just stupid. And I will there's say there's the a cross section. People like there's a yeah. touch of both. Yeah, well, there's, gonna... there's there's a cross section, and she could be hateful and bigoted. But like the actual evil, I feel like evil requires you know some sort of calculating, and I I don't think she even knows how to use a calculator for one. In today's Republican Party, you have to wake up every day with a burning passion to own the libs. Like that's yeah, like right. if you don't have that, if you're not driven by just trying to embarrass some liberals, then like you're not going to make it. And she can't do that because she's too busy being embarrassed by her family, which if you forget, the Palins are like basically um, white trash dynasty. It's like the Keystone Cops. Uh, no, it's, it's them like colliding know? with each other and running the, and pointing the other direction and all that. Yeah. Screwball comedy. When you think about when you think about everything with, you know, like Bristol and, you know, like the teen pregnancies, you know, and like Dancing with the Stars and like the public fights that brawls that they would have um you know which show that you know like um white people could cause chaos um at public events too it, it, it there is no way her family was ever going to like get itself in order to be like calculating an evil and like a real like part of um the gop you know like for everything yeah. we say about the trump family and how messy they've been in public life since like the apprentice and shit like that like they at least keep most of their nonsense at least respectable in the way that like rich evil white people like do you know like i feel like people look down on the palins i feel like they also inspired a lot of trashy entertainment like you know honey boo boo and uh you know like duck dynasty like that was all like the palins in in real life reality tv Mm. god i did watch sarah palins alaska at the time maybe i was tasked with uh recapping it for whatever website i was working for but (laughs) they could not manufacture one interest i mean it just was boring and then two it's like man i guess you're just like kind of dim that's it and and that that doesn't necessarily make good tv that's what i learned from sarah palin even if you're stupid and want to be on tv doesn't mean i want to watch it which half of tv is about stupid and look what they're up to now you know yeah 
I mean, she is she is no cast member of Floribama Shore. Right. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, I I would I will credit her at least with um she's one of the last political figures to inspire like good um parody in sort of like the SNL realm. Like Tina Fey, Sarah Palin is iconic. That was around the same era, you know, where we had the very good Jay Farrow, um, Obama. You know, I think that like they've not been able to replicate that with anybody after. Like, is there a good Trump? Yeah. Is there a good Biden? No. But by the way, that uh, true. But I don't need to see Tina Fey do it again. I feel like she's going to be forced no. to do it again. And it's like, no, this shouldn't be like a Hal Holbrook as Mark Twain thing. I was happy with right. it existing when it existed. <laughs> you know? Keep it as that. Keep it as that moment. That moment. We, yeah. we watched that. We watched that during the Obama campaign in the campaign office. I remember, and we were all cheering because we thought that we were worried about Sarah Palin for a little while, like yeah. when she first had those rallies in early September, and then the Tina Fey stuff happened and the Katie Couric stuff, and we felt a little bit better. Mm. Ira, what is your keep at this week? So my keep it um, is an internet video that popped up starring Paula Patton, which, speaking of Deja Vu, um, the film directed by Tony Scott that Denzel Washington was in that I brought up earlier, Paula Patton is in that film. Um, Paula Patton decided to share her um, fried chicken recipe I have seen this video. This week. I really, by the way, by the way, <laughs> cooking videos, the last thing I care about. It's just, it's just not on my brand. I'm not, I'm not like a food person. Paula, what the fuck went wrong here? Paula. <laughs> what happened? Paula Patton. Paula Patton shares her. She says it's her mother's uh, fried chicken recipe. And it is the most terrifying thing I've seen um, since I saw the movie X last week. And this is more terrifying. <laughs> um, she... First of all, if if you're asking if her mother is white, yes, she is. Oh, um, uh, okay. her, but I know plenty of white people from the South who were aghast at um this fried chicken making. She first of all takes the chicken, washes it with water, and I also want to say that there's a debate raging online, um, usually amongst like Black Twitter, about whether or not you wash chicken before you cook it, and I am firmly in the camp of you do not wash chicken because you're just spreading E. coli everywhere. Although sections of the internet will have you convinced that like, if you do not wash your chicken, um, you are a terrorist because they don't like to listen to science. And I get it. You know, um, the Tuskegee experiments are a direct reason <laughs> why uh -huh, we sure. now believe we have to wash your chicken. But anyway, yeah. she has this chicken that she then throws into a bag of flour. She does not season this chicken. She just puts it in the flour, and then she puts the chicken in a pan on the stove and is cooking it in grease. And then she decides to season the chicken. So she, she manages to under-season and over-season this chicken because she's basically seasoning grease. <laughs> And That's then terrifying. she bites into it when it's done. The inside is pink. I do ah. not know. I do not know who in her life has had to endure this fried chicken recipe before. It's it's changing my mind about um a lot of her relationship with Robin Thicke, I, for instance. It has been on my mind throughout this. Yes. 
Because <laughs> I know Robin Thicke knows what good ass fried chicken is, okay? Alan Thicke's son knows what good ass fried chicken is. And classic and if Canadian to sit fried there, chicken. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Alan Thicke is a white man of color. Okay. <laughs> right. We've, we've been over this. Sure. Uh, Alan Thicke is black. Um, to sit there, at the amount of times he probably had to sit there and, you know, eat Paula's fried chicken. Pink but then the he middle. still wrote that. He's, yeah, he still wrote that song "Get Her Back." So there might have might have been some X factor to that chicken. Well, I mean, that just means the sex was good. Okay, all right, but <laughs> no, it, it is a really shocking video because, as like you said, normally you would show that to whatever your publicist or whoever's around, and maybe there'd be an objection or two. The joy with which she shares this recipe, which has several mind blowing plot twists as it goes on i haven't seen anything like it on the internet in a while uh i'm gonna go uh, watch and this I, I haven't been this worried for apollo since abdul on american idol in 2009 which was treacherous <laughs> <laughs> they were like they were like we're gonna bring in cara diaguardi now like <laughs> it was a really tough time for Paula. Just, just walked her out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the funny part about it, though, is I don't get why Paula Patton was sharing her recipe for fried chicken. Like, was this a sort of like a precursor to her wanting to release a cookbook? I was like, does she have a show coming out on Food Network or something? Like, it's it's very early pandemic era behavior which seems like you you don't need to share a recipe with us in 2022 now we're outside mm -hmm. sure yeah, we don't we don't you need know? to watch this at all so yeah so she she clearly decided to embarrass herself for no good reason well she gave uh, us some content here true yeah, I guess yeah. I'm thankful. Yeah, true. She she's maybe she's launching like um her version of Jackass, but it's just, you know, like people <laughs> cooking poorly. Which reminds me, by the way, you gotta check out Paris Hilton's video where she's cooking something. It's from a few years ago. And I think it's intentionally parodic, but man, is it worth the screen. She doesn't know where any of the utensils in her kitchen are. Anyway, if somebody <laughs> if somebody wrote that, if that turns out to be like a Julio Torres joint, I'm not surprised, but it was really funny. Well, she has a cooking show, Cooking with Paris. And of course, she's incredibly handy. If there's one thing we know about that yeah, Trump no. voting lunatic, I'm not. I'm just. <laughs> she's known for her cooking. It's sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a ripoff of Selena Chef, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> which is good. Which is good. <laughs> of course, you want Selena Chef. Drop. <laughs> 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 I've seen a couple episodes, three or four episodes of that. John Favreau, I would say your first outing with Keep It went really well. Thank God you came. I, I, thank God. I, I, thank, thank you for having me. This was amazing. I'm now next time I see Ira in the crosswalk, I'm gonna I'm gonna slow down. <laughs> well, I didn't tell you to do that. Yeah. I mean, live a little. Hit Ira with your car. <laughs> uh, now, thank you so much for being here, John. It was actually a joy to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, and I miss you. I miss yeah. you too. Let's hang soon. Yeah. Um, and thank you again to the iconic Shirley Ralph for joining us. Uh, this has been Keep It. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston. And our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. But I, Louis Fertel, do a good job, too. 
Our audio engineers are Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin, and the show is mixed and edited by Charlotte Landis. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.